This week on Inside the Ropes, we spoke to Lindsay Steve and great to catch up with him. Ben Everill on the eve of the US Masters. The passing of Sean Connery, Bryson DeChambeau. Golf under lights in Dubai. There's a heap to get through. Let's go. You're listening to Inside the Ropes, Australia's must-listen-to golf show with exclusive content from both home and abroad. Subscribe through your favourite podcast app or listen at golf.org.au. G'day everybody, welcome to the show, Inside the Ropes, episode number 188. Great to have you with us, joined alongside today by a man who is involved in golf's greatest global stash at the moment, uh, Michael Clayton joins us. Uh, the world is watching you at the moment, Clayton, you and Brandel Chambly are just going uh, hammer and tongs at one another and everybody in the global golfing community, my friend, is uh, hanging by tenor hooks to see the next blow. How are you, mate? Um, good, mate. I don't think it's that big a deal, is it really? Oh, it's pretty big, I reckon. Put it, put it fight. Um, well, mate, you've started. There's a whole apparel range that's been started. I saw the Rollback Alliance has bobbed up, and because you're being called a, you and your, your band of Rollback merchants are being called Claytonites by Brandel Chamblin, there's even a whole, there's a whole apparel range you can get these days. Well, he wasn't game enough to call us Nicholasites. So, um, anyway, it's an interesting debate about the future of golf and where we go with the golf ball and how far it goes. And it'll only be highlighted next week at Augusta, really, with the anticipation of what Bryson might do. But in fact, it's a problem that's actually more than one player. So it's how you know it's how the the modern ball affects the way the great championship courses play and whether we need to stretch them out to try and recreate the test that they were meant to be or, you know, Bryson's idea is that golf course designers need to be more inventive or we need to go and build a whole lot of new golf courses, neither of which are particularly practical. So, I mean, you know, my argument is how do you go and reinvent Royal Melbourne to make it relevant? I mean, obviously, it's, you know, what the President's Cup last year was great Watching Tiger play that course was brilliant, but Mackenzie would be shocked at how differently it played from the way he wanted it to play. But the answer is not growing more rough or planting more trees, as Bryson suggests, or moving bunkers, because often, you can't, where do you put the bunkers on the 18th west of Royal Melbourne? You can, they're in the hill where you can see them. You can't pick them up and stick them over the hill where they're blind. So you ruin the essence of what's arguably the best course in the world just to. You know, at the older of manufacturers and you know, a tiny percentage of players who hit the ball distances that, that make the game completely out of scale at the moment, I think. Bryson well, thinks to... it's fine, but... Yeah. Sorry, Bright... uh, Brandall thinks it's fine, but it's not my point or you know, much bigger names in the game than me, Tiger and Nicholas and Tom Doak and Jeff Shackleford. You know, there's a whole cohort of Clayton Knights, who think that the RNA and the USGA need to do something about the golf ball. So I'll talk to Benny Everill about the way that this is capturing the American golf media's imagination in a moment. Lindsay Stevens going to join us as well. Looking forward to having a chat to him. Often these things, Clates, have moments of flashpoint where it does get to a, a point where you either cross it and you, you enter the point of no return or there is that moment where ultimately the stake goes in the ground and somebody says, righto, we need to do something about this. 
is Augusta going to be that point? Could could Augusta in a week's time be that point where everybody does say, righto, enough's enough? Well, I think it's a bit like the US election. I think people are entrenched on both sides. Mm. No one's going to change their view. So Augusta next week will be no more shocking than what Tiger Woods did in 1997 when he reduced it to every par four was a driving a wedge, I think almost literally. And between then and now, the course was extended probably, it's probably 500 yards longer now than it was then. But at some point, even Augusta runs out of room. They've put the fifth tee out on what was Washington Road. They've bought up land from Augusta Country Club to move the 13th tee back. They've moved back all the tees they, not all the tees they can, they can obviously stretch it further. But my assumption is they're pretty tired of doing that when the answer is to roll the ball back. Now, whether you bifurcate the game and just roll it back for the best players or you roll it back for everyone else, that's the question. You know, the question is how much do you and I lose? And taking 30 yards from Bryson's tee shot doesn't mean that necessarily that you take 30 yards off you and I. Mm. But, but that, you know, that needs to be the experiment. The studies. How much does the average player lose? How, how much is the average player going to be scared? And, you know, it's it's the, you know, the old thing that don't take my guns, don't take my 30 yards. Yeah. yeah well, you yeah. either have a ball for the, for the top level of the game or you drag it back for everyone. And, and that's a, you know, uh, it's a, either way, I don't care which, which way that goes, really. But clearly, you know, the great, courses, the great courses in Australia don't play the way they did 30 years ago, let alone 80 years ago when they were built. And, and they were built in response to the biggest... Previous to this, the biggest revolution in the game, which was the switch from hickory shafts to steel shafts. Mm, mm. So, you know, that clearly had a massive impact on how far the ball went. So, so, and then, so, of course, golf balls gradually improved. So is it existential this one, Clates? Because because we want we want um, advancements in in everything. We want cars to be safer. We want food to be better. We want clothes. To, we want everything to be better than it than it once was. You know, and we should make things better than they used to be. So if golfers are going to be better than this, is this and they're going to hit it further and and all all of the things that come with this evolution of the game from where we were eighty years ago. Is this this moment where the game actually faces a crop? Not just the old courses, but the game. Because if 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 these guys are going to be overpowering um, the great championship courses that we we've seen for a hundred years, what what do we have to produce next? And can we produce what we have to produce next to make it a in inverted commas fair test? Well, there's a, there's a thing I tweet out often about. The clubs Arnold Palmer used on a 7,100-yard course in the 1969 U.S. Open, and the average club he hit for the round was a drive was, was a four. So it was a bunch of two, three, four, five irons. It was a couple of wedges and a seven iron. So, so to to build a course that to to force Kepka or Johnson or Deschambeau or McElroy to hit the same clubs, the course has got to be over 9,000 yards long. Now, clearly, that's not sustainable. You can't go and build a whole lot of new golf courses to try and... And, of course, you know, perhaps you don't want you know, courses to play that long, but cutting, cutting the game down from that to 
a series of drives and wedges and nine irons is, well, I don't think it, I mean, the world is better for the washing machine. You know, the women yeah. don't have to spend Monday, all day Monday, washing clothes. The world's better for that. But th- this is the essence of the game is how, how's the game best played? How's it best organised? And to me, it's, it's clear that the driver long iron par four has and always should be an important part of the game. And its elimination from the game at the top level is not a good thing. You know, taking the driver four iron par four from the game is not the same thing as forcing women to go out and wash clothes all day on Monday. So whilst the washing machine was a great invention that made all our lives better, the modern golfer and the modern driver isn't the equivalent thing. You know, the, the airbag and better better cars, better tyres, better roads that have saved hundreds of thousands of lives. You know, that's all made the world a better place. The elimination of the driver four iron par four doesn't make the world a better place. doesn't make the game better. doesn't make golf better. Yeah. Game. Yeah. So, you, so you can't equate. And, and there's a great TED talk on modern equipment. And, and, and the, the, the speaker starts off talking about Jesse Owens and Usain Bolt. And there's a maybe there's a ten or seven or eight yard gap in the time that Owens ran in Berlin and the times Bolt ran. Except that if you take away the improvements in the track, the improvements in the spikes, the starting blocks, there's almost no difference between them. Mm. And the second most striking part of that TED talk is Eddie Merckx, the great Belgian cyclist over a certain period of time, he rode, I don't know, 34 miles and whatever, or whatever it was. 25 years later, someone with a new bike and new, new equipment completely obliterated Merckx's record. It was ridiculous what he did to it. Then they recreated the same athlete in Merckx's equipment. And I think... Over the 35 miles, he rode 800 feet further than Merckx did 40 <laughs> yeah. years and 50 years ago. So this better this better athlete argument is complete. I mean, sure that you know athletes are bigger and stronger, and, and they've made some advances. But I'll guarantee you, if if you recreate the Merckx experiment using the same equipment, give Bryson DeChambeau or Brooks or whoever those guys are, no longer Rory, give them a 19. 75, we'll, we'll give them the same ball and driver that Greg or Seve or Jack use. They're going to be maybe they're longer, marginally, maybe, but not 50 yards longer or 40 yeah, yards longer. Yep, yep, yep. So it fundamentally distorts the game. And, and, and we know that when the microphones are turned off and they're speaking off the record, we know that the, the bosses of the USGA and the RNA and Augusta all think the ball needs to be rolled back. They're all in favour of rolling the ball back. And it seems the ones who are against it are the PGA Tour because they think they've got a great product and they think the lot, you know, chicks dig the long ball. Well, you know, <laughs> chicks kind of always dug Arnold Palmer, you know, hitting great drives and forearms into, into the hardest par fours in America. They just don't yeah. get where the downside is. 
So it doesn't help. I mean, the same week that you know, you're having this conversation and others around the world are engaging, and it doesn't help when you've got the CEO of a company like TaylorMade coming out and saying, "Oh well, if they if they give us a, a you know rollback ball and we have to do that," and the market says to us that, "Oh no, 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 there's still a desire for a ball that um, plays as long as we can make a ball to go." We'll keep delivering that ball, and we'll we'll see where that goes. So, I'm not I'm not sure that's terribly helpful. Okay. Well, there are two points to that. When see, what, what the Americans don't realise is that we all went through a rollback in the, in, the, in the early 1980s. We all were forced, which was a good thing, to stop playing the small ball hmm. and, and we were forced to move to the big ball, So, which was the same way to bigger. So it went for good players, it was 25 yards shorter. And for players who didn't hit the ball as far, they lost less yards. Women probably hit the ball further because it was easier to get in the air. So we've all, so, so the, the, the tailor-made threat that we'll make illegal equipment, well, that wasn't the evidence of Australia and Britain and, and New Zealand and Japan and the rest, of the, you know, the, the rest of the world. The average amateur player didn't stick with playing the small ball because it went further, even though it was illegal. And of course, the second thing is, well, that's fine. If you want to make illegal equipment, that's fine. But... All the insurance that every club member contributes to Golf Australia to cover insurance for liability for the ball that goes over a fence and hits a car and causes an accident or goes into a house and breaks a window, that's fine. If you're using illegal equipment, all your insurance is null and void. Mm. So if you slice a ball through someone's window and hit someone in the head or break a window or smash a car and cause a car accident, if you're using an illegal ball or an illegal driver, the insurance doesn't count. Pay it yourself. They'll kill that using illegal equipment straight off. Or worse, you hit someone on the golf course. So you blast the ball one fairway across, hit someone in the head with a, with a driver that's illegal, using an, an, an illegal driver or an illegal ball, your, your insurance doesn't count. And that kills that threat to make illegal equipment. And I don't think they'll do it anyway, because I think the average golfer would turn against a company it snubbed its nose at the people who run the game. Mm, mm. You know, it's, it's what we're seeing in America right now with the president threatening the will of the people. You know, I just don't think the people put up with that stuff. Is there any... At the end of the day, any... they say, yep. here are the rules you play by and stick to the rules. So, DeChambeau, who is the lightning rod for this at the moment, um, rightly or wrongly... Uh, He's a he's a proper golfer. He's trying to win major golf championships and, and and succeeding in doing it now. He's not he's not trying to win a world's longest drive competition. But he's he he's jumping out of his niblicks when he's hitting the ball, carrying the ball 403 yards, and he's he's cranked it up at 211 miles an hour off the club face, ball head, club head speed. Is yeah. there any part of you that that does get excited? It, it, Insert the right word, but but what right word? But is there any part of you that does get excited about that? No, I think he's got a great technique, but I, I mean, he's a terrific player. But whether the ball goes 400 yards or 300 yards, I mean, we're all in awe. Everyone who watched Greg Norman play in Australia was in awe of how far he hit it. I remember playing with Stuart Ginn and Greg on the first hole at Kionga in the 1980 South Australian Open. And Guinea and I did what everyone else did. Driver, three iron or two iron up, 50, 50 or 60 yards short of the green. 
Greg just bombed a driver down there and flew a three-wood onto the middle of the green. No one else could do that. We're in awe of that. I mean, Guinea looked at me and said, you know, can you believe this guy? There are five women on the LPGA Tour who average longer than Greg Norman distance now. So, so Greg in 1985, there are five women on the LPGA Tour whose average driving distance is longer than Greg's was then. So people have always been in awe of the longest hitters. So I don't see it as that amazing that someone hits the ball. Well, it is amazing that someone hits the ball 400 yards. But you know that it's all, most of it is, in, is inspired by yep. the equipment. You know, yep. Give Bryson the old equipment. Give him Greg's ball and Greg's driver. Okay, let's see you at 400 yards now. And he, and he can't do it. No one could do it. I mean, Nick, um, Bryson is not doing anything that, that Nick, Jack Nicholas wasn't doing in 1965. He's just doing it with different equipment. So, you know, there have been long drive guys who've been hitting the ball 400 yards for, I won't say years, but, you know, a reasonable amount of time. And I, th- I think it's, it's inevitable that if, if the game goes down this route, that, that there'll be a long, you know, Carl Barks is the long drive guy now. There'll be a long drive guy who'll figure out how to play golf. It always amazes me that if someone hits the ball 400 yards, how can you not shoot 65 every time you play? How's that not possible? I mean, you must be a complete idiot. You know? But of course, those guys, all they do is stand there and hit the ball as far as they can. I mean, if I yeah. could drive the ball 400 yards, I'm going to be the best player in the world at 65 years old. Because no one can beat me from that close to the green. That's a great so point. It's inevitable that... Yeah. Uh, it, it's inevitable there'll be a long drive guy who'll figure out how to play. And then what? You know, what's the point when someone stands on the first hole at Metropolitan and waits for the green to clear and drives the ball onto the green? Yep. And then drives the ball onto the third green, chips it onto the fourth green, drives onto the fifth green, the wedge onto the sixth, wedge onto the eighth, and drives all across the greens on trees onto the ninth green. Why is the point of the game? There is, there is no point to golf then. Mm. That's not what golf ever was and was ever meant to be. Yeah, it starts to make a bit of a mockery yeah, off so it, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, um, so I think in a way it's a good thing that you know. It, it, hopefully, it comes to a head next week. Well, let's see. Let's see. We're all bracing for it. I think, you know, the, the, the game's looking at it and he's threatening to do it and we'll see whether he hits it straight enough to, to, to do what those long-hitting um, blokes who only care about doing that uh, can't do, and that is make a mess of it on the scorecard. Let's get a sense of um, how the focus is over in the States. Ben Everill's going to join us on the other side of the break to... Uh, Give us a sense for the box office of Bryson when we come back. You're listening to Inside the Ropes. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Welcome back to the show. We know we've got one more week to go to get to Augusta, this very unusual Masters of 2020. And man who's going to be on the ground over there, he hasn't left to get to uh, Georgia just yet. What a fascinating place 
It would be uh, to be right now. Uh, ben Everill joins us, a man well-known to everybody here around Inside the Ropes. Hey, Benny, thanks for joining us, mate. No problem. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting trip. We'll probably still be counting some of those states by the time I get there in a couple of days. So so we've already t- sort of set the timeline out for when we're doing this show, and it's still you know pretty much up in here. Before we get into the golf, give us a sense for what it's like to be in the middle of it over there, observing it um, from, from your uh, vantage point in Los Angeles. Uh, let me tell you, it was quite interesting. Obviously, California is a very much uh, democratic state. So over here, uh, all the early watching with the three-hour time difference on the other side was started with a bit of hype and then things got sort of ugly for the democratic side and people were sort of in this pall of, oh no, here we go again over here, really. And then as sort of got really late and early in the morning uh, here, um, the, the, the shifts came as expected with the, the mail-in early voters. Uh, and now it's a completely switched scenario where uh, it's sort of this trepidation of gloating, not gloating just yet or anything like that, because they know that, um, you know, the Don, he'll take it to the death. He'll find any loophole he can and try to exploit it. So, um, you know, we have to count every shot in golf uh, unless you play like he So, you know, you never know. So there's a chance, as, as we sit here right now, Georgia is still one of the sure. disputed states and as, you know, the, the votes are left to be counted are running out, but the margin continues to narrow. I don't know whether you've got a view on this, Clates, but Benny, you go first. Do either of you expect there to be any, if this thing goes, you know, sort of tits up and, and um, you know, the locals are, decide to get angry about all of this, is there any chance that there could be any... Um, knock on to, towards the Masters? Could there be any impact at all regarding the tournament as part of the fallout from this election? I'd hope not. As I said, while, while Georgia is one of the states still being counted, um, it probably will fall uh, Trump's way uh, and that might get things you know, pretty similar. Plus, Augusta's fed away from Atlanta where I guess there would be the, the division. You know, it's a couple of hour drive. Uh, if anything's going to go down, it'll probably be there, downtown Atlanta, and hopefully that wouldn't affect uh, so especially with no fans and nothing in the in the city this year, you know, if we had big crowds or something, potentially. But uh, yeah, I don't think so. I think that you'll see more issues happening maybe in those major cities like uh, Atlanta or, or possibly uh, places of that ilk. How much of the Green Jackets taking notice of the election, Clates? Are they uh, all in on this? How, much, how how close an eye are they keeping in all of this? Well, I'm sure they're probably keeping a pretty close eye. I heard that the Green Jackets won't be wearing their Green Jackets this year at Augusta, because, of course, being the only ones there, they'd be standing out like sore thumbs. And, and they wear the green jackets in part because spectators can, the patrons, can ask them for directions or questions. Or but given there won't be anyone there, I think you won't be seeing too many green jacketed members. Well, there won't be too many members wearing their green jackets next week. So, Benny, from a COVID perspective, um, are we going to have all those that are eligible to play? We know that a few of them have had some issues. Are they all going to be turning up? Uh, it seems to be, yes. Uh, the, the, the guys um, that have tested positive in the last few weeks, being DJ Finau and Scotty, are all back playing as of this week. Um, Finau last week as well. Uh, so they'll they'll be there. In fact, they don't even have to be tested. They're one of the lucky few, if you will, that get to go to the Masters and they have a three-month, uh, I guess, gap before they even have to be tested again, uh, given the way the guidelines are here. Uh, the rest, it is a super nervous wait. I'm telling you, that two hours or two, three, four, five hour turnaround, it is the testing we do here in the bubble. Um, you know, it's one thing for a, for a you know, or a worker or a volunteer to, to test positive and not be able to go, but imagine turning up to Augusta and while you're waiting, you're told, nope, 
that's it, you're out. And you know, it happened to Harry Higgs in Houston this week. It's happened a couple of weeks on tour, but I tell you, there's some super nervous players ready for that test, even without symptoms, just in case something yeah. goes wrong. I hadn't even thought about that. Like the, the the test in the days and the hours in the lead up to the thing that uh, that is quite something to be. Um, having rolling around. And the last thing you want to be doing right now is wake up one morning with a bit of a sore throat or a sniffle. That uh, that could s- cause all sorts of tremors. Yeah, exactly. And as I said, I, I was surprised that um, the Houston Open uh, this week went to having, they were actually, were actually having 2,000 fans a day there. Um, the first time we've had sort of set fans back um, you know, if I'm one of the one of the players, I'm making sure I'm I'm well back from the ropes at all times. Yeah. If I'm playing the Masters the following week, that's for sure. Now, I saw Scott Stallings. I don't know whether you, again whether you'd have a view on this, Clates, but I saw Scott Stallings suggesting that it's too early. Now we everybody wants you know everyone wants patrons and fans back at the golf, and we've we've missed them. There's no question about that. But you know, Stallings has been around a long time, and he was of the view that no, no, it's it's too early. We shouldn't be inviting. Um, even the slightest prospect of, of, you know, any kind of misadventure visiting itself upon any of these players. Yeah, I was going to say, I could jump in there and say that, you know, you guys you guys have um, had some pretty serious lockdowns in areas in Australia for just minimal cases. Today, we hit 100,000 cases, new cases in the day for the first time in the US in the middle of a third wave. That puts into perspective too, like... Uh, you know, you could probably get away with it if we were having an, an Australian Open or a PGA or, or something, uh, you know, with local players. You, you know, 1,000, 2,000 fans would, would be fine. But when you bring it into the market, of, as I said, 100,000 new cases a day at the moment, it, it changes things. Yeah, it sure does. Um, we spent a lot of time in recent you know, weeks and months talking about, you know, Bryson DeChambeau. How big is... Obviously, this you know, when, I, when I ask the question about box office, there's no one walking through the gate, but... The interest levels over there in, in what DeChambeau's doing and, and the threat that he poses to Augusta National, how how big a talking point is that over there, Ben? Probably the biggest in golf at the moment. I, I must say that I've been enjoying the, the back and forth between plates and and uh, a few uh, bigger names at the golf channel over here, uh, Brand Assembly and whatnot. Um, it's been part of uh, the narrative here Definitely, um, you know, while Tiger hasn't been playing that well and Michelle's only been doing stuff on the chairs at all, we've got to have something to, to talk about and what Bryson's been doing is the number one thing. So um, I'm fascinated to see what he does there and, and maybe, just maybe, if he does destroy the place, it'll be the kicker that, that perhaps forces some change. I mean, think about the anchor band. It was not really until Scotty won the Masters that they really got serious about doing something. Yeah, we've already talked about it a bit in the first segment, but... Are you, Clates, are you expecting that, you know, he he's the rest of what he does is good enough for him to take advantage if he hits the ball straight or straight enough? Is is the rest of his game good enough for him to destroy the joint? Well, if he plays well. I mean, if any of the best players play their best, they're going to win. If Rory plays his best, he'll win. Dustin Johnson plays his best, he'll win. If Kepka plays his best, he'll win. So it really comes down to who plays their best. But, you know, I'm assuming Bryson's going to pull out the 48-inch driver and try and turn the 10th hole into a driving a wedge. And so if, if he drives the ball well, and he drove the ball well at the US Open, even though he hit, I think, what, he hit 23 fairways or 44% of the fairways, but he missed it in the right places and he was far enough down that he gouged the ball out of the rough onto the green. So his strategy at Wingfoot was brilliant. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see 
clearly the fairways are wider at Augusta, which gives him more latitude. So if he can start getting the ball out there at 350 or 360 yards, then I mean, it's, a, it's what the course was for Tiger in 1997. Every hole becomes a wedge, pretty much. Mm. So you've only got to be half on your game. Clearly, if you're playing well, it's a massive advantage. Yeah, go, Benny. Yeah, it's funny you said that, Clint. I was just, just talking to um, Adam Scott today about that very thing, actually, and he mentioned Tiger in 97, uh, that that's sort of the situation that could potentially um, come up, especially as uh, sort of the, the reliance on putting at Augusta hasn't really been there as much as it had been traditionally in the past, the last uh, few years. You know, you look at guys like Adam himself winning, um, Sergio winning there, uh, and I saw a stat actually recently that the last three Masters, I think, Bryson actually ranks last in strokes gained putting over the, the guys who played eight or more rounds over those three years. Um, but however, this year he's putting very well from inside 10 feet. And if you're putting every shot to 10 feet or eight feet instead of, you know, 20, 25, uh, you know, you, you, you're going to be a good shot, aren't you? So. I think that the, the mystique of Augusta around the greens and the chipping and, and, and the, the greens themselves, while still very important, uh, aren't as important as they were perhaps in the years gone by as, as it's been become easier you know, to hit it longer. Hey, Ben, just before we let you go, have you been able to... There's a little... I'm not sure it was an injury scare a couple of weeks ago with, with Jason Day, but uh, he's, he's teed it up since then. Uh, he's obviously you know well enough to play, but what sort of level of fitness is he at as far as you can work out? Is he is he close to 100%? Yeah, we had a, a chat yesterday and today actually about his health. He he is trying more so these days to not um, bring up the, the niggles and the excuses yep. uh, that yep. people have accused him of in the past, but Look, he, he is probably 90% most of the time, and then it can degenerate on a certain day depending on how things are going. He's never really 100% anymore. Um, you know, his body sort of just naturally tries to adjust to certain things when his back's a little stiff or his neck's a little sore or, or whatever, but um, he does try to fight through it more than people realise these days, and I think um, that's why he was a bit really frustrated uh, during Las Vegas the other week. He was in contention, serious contention, and... Mm and literally went down as he was about to, on his second last swing on the range and, and then couldn't keep it together. So he's trying to battle through the issues when he has them. Uh, he thinks he'll be 100% for the Masters. He's um, keeping all his prep work. He's been good the last few weeks because he's been on the road the whole time, but without the family. So he's been able to, to sort of spend time just doing his recovery and just his, his prep work, etc. So he feels like that will put him in good stead for trying to peak at the Masters and, uh, you know, he found a few things actually in a video session that he's putting uh, the other day too. That when he looked at the two compared to when he was at his best, and he's hopeful that this week he'll he'll figure it out in Houston and be ready to go. Well, mate, you're going to be part of something pretty unique. Um, you're going to get to see, you know, this this magnificent golfing, you know, sort of um, cathedral without, you know, the 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 barriers and without the people and without the scaffolding and without the whole it's going to be such a unique experience to be there mate we'll touch base with you when it's all done and dusted and get a sense for what it was like um until then mate have a good lead up to it all stay safe over there and um and we'll we'll have a chat to you after it's all all done and dusted thanks for being part of it again today yeah, appreciate it, man. And let me tell you, there might not be many rules, but if one of our boys wins, you'll hear one. You'll hear one from me. <laughs> I look forward to it. Ben Everill, <laughs> keeping an eye on everything that we're interested in, a whole lot more over there in America, joining us on Inside the Ropes. Don't go anywhere. A bloke that Mike Clayton played a lot of golf with, knows very, very well, uh, is going to join us on the other side of this. Lindsay Stephen going to join us on Inside the Ropes for a chat. 
Let's go back inside the ropes with Golf Australia. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks. Hazy's been uh, threatening to tee up Lindsay Stephen for a chat, and uh, it's great that we finally made contact. And I'm, it's who better to be doing the conversation with than you, Michael Clayton? You must have, as I say to you, Lin- as I say good day to you, Lindsay Stephen. Great to have you on the show. Um, thanks for being part of it, thanks, mate. Andy. Thanks for having me. Clates, you two must have, I don't know how many times you would have teed it up um, alongside one another in the same tournament here in Australia and other parts of the world, but I imagine you two would go back a fair way. Yeah, well, um, Lens, Lens, I remember um, back in the old days when we were playing the Vic Opens in Melbourne, he was kind of, when I turned pro, he'd been out there for a few years. I remember this long long red head bloke playing well in Perth and... um, you remember those tournaments we used to play in? When were they? Netherlands Masters and those things. West Australian Open and then Netherlands Masters um, Open and uh, West Australian PGA and uh, West Australian Open. All those events were they were good events. You know, they were sort of yeah. order merit events back then. Even though order merit back then was about fifty thousand dollars, not um, what it is now. I don't know what it is now. Hundred thousand, I think. Um, so yeah, no, the, we had. Well, we had an Australian-wide tour going, didn't we? Uh, yeah. Well, we had can you hear me all right? Was, it's coming through okay. Yeah, no, we can hear yeah, you. Yeah, um, yeah. I was thinking the other day, the Melbourne Cup week, the week that, remember Jack Newton went to the Melbourne Cup and he forgot to register for the PGA and that has qualified him, <laughs> which was kind of silly. Yes. But, um, the PGA was four or five weeks into the local tour and it was a 16 yes, or 17-week right. tour that finished February. I mean, now there's well, there's nothing this year, but you know, it's amazing how much it's diminished from back in the days when, I mean, really, Peter Thompson was the star when we started out, then David Graham and Bob Shearer, and then yeah. Norman came along. So we're yeah. all lucky enough to live through that yeah, era that when was... Greg, kinda, Greg was yeah. a massive presence and you know a catalyst for making the tour what it was when we played. So it's almost the golden age of the Australian tour, really, yeah. the one we lived through. Well, no question it was a golden age because we had like 18 um, events that were what we call order of merit, which counts on our money list to keep your card for going overseas and whatever else you had to play in. And um, obviously Australia as well, the card would give you all the starts uh, in Australia. But I think what was the the start, definitely Greg Norman had a huge influence on the tour. Um, we can't replace him. We we try. We can't get our other guys. He's got that aura about him, and he did a fantastic um, job for Australia. Given people think that Greg come and did his bit, but there was always a little bit of incentive there for him, pay for the fuel for his jet plane, but um, <laughs> <laughs> whatever else they gave him. But uh, no, he uh, he. He was fantastic. He did just a great draw card, and um, yeah, it's pretty pretty we aged, but we do. And uh, there was a little press release this week that he's coming back to Australia. Lee. Might even okay. come to Perth, Jim. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I haven't heard that any, from anyone well, else. Well, I did see other, that but... um, video outlet, but um, did you see that, Jimmy? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, the, well, the result that, of the result of the election um, might have hastened his return. Well, he might bring Jack. He might bring Jack out with him. Jack might be looking to um, relocate. There's a few that were thinking about coming out here. Bruce Springsteen was going to come out and live in Australia if 
Donald Trump got re-elected. If he doesn't, then maybe a couple of the um, Republicans might decide to come out to Australia and get away from a Democratic president. You never know. Hey, Lindsay, you two listening to you two talk about that? Do you lament those? Do you lament the fact that we don't have um, as vibrant uh, a local tour now? Is it is is how much poorer it's is good, for, yeah. for in Australia for not having that? Yeah, is that is that Andy I'm talking to? Or yeah, I'm it is, mate. Yeah, the, yeah. Voice? Yep. Andy, yeah. Um, yeah, that's Andy, uh, yeah. Yeah, look, I, the big key with it all is, and Clay's will know it as well, is, is Foxtel. And the fact that we get all these tournaments beamed in every day, every night, um, into our lounge room. And why would you want to go and watch us play when you can watch it on TV, the best players in the world? And they are the best players in the world, the ones playing it in those tours that, uh, that we're getting coverage on. So that really in itself is a big issue because when, you, when you're looking at these tour events overseas, you've got the best players in the world you're looking at. When you're looking at our tour, well, you've got Mike Clayton, of course, but, you know, that, that's, about the, that's about the length of it, isn't it? Do you miss the flavour of Australian golf, though? We, we spent a bit of time, when, particularly when Clayton's on the show, Lindsay, talking about... You know, the Australian golf courses and the way that the game is played in Australia, you know, the, the bounce and the run and the, the fire and the speed and all yeah. that. Do you yeah. miss, do, do we miss a bit as Australian mm-hmm. golf fans for, for not seeing as much of that as we, we did back in the old days? Mm, oh, well, obviously, yeah, you'd have to say yes to that. But I think that we can, you know, maybe moving forward, we can do some sort of link up and we try to do this, haven't we, Mike? Um, um, with in relation to um, the Asian market, maybe we should try and get back in the bed with those um, tours a little bit. As difficult as it is, because they're very <laughs> they're very hard to communicate with at times. Um, but there is a you know, obviously the US tour is identified. It they're trying to put a couple of events on in China, or are they are putting events on in China. Um, I mean, given what's going on. <laughs> With this election, I don't know what's going to happen with them um, yeah. moving forward. But I, I just think that we should maybe look at more localised um, content in our coverage. So when I say localised, um, be that would be Asia, Australia, maybe even Japan. I mean, what's wrong with trying to merge with Japan? I mean, I, I mean, but maybe just the fox, you know, the you... foxtel question aside, one of the biggest problems is one of the biggest problems is the wraparound tour. So that all the, you know, Matt Jones, who was fourth last week, and all the guys, they, they yeah. all want to get a good start for the following year's season, well, well, for the following year. So none of them want to come home to play here because they can play in America all year. That's right. And then, You're not gonna... back when you and I were playing, Lynn, back in the old days, yeah. um, you know, guys like Langer and Faldo and Torrance and Brand Jr. and good days. Um, Ken Brown, those guys all came out to play here because there was nothing to play in Europe. Europe. Europe didn't start till April and, and it finished mm. in October. So there were five months where they could come and play it here. But uh, Europe goes no, all year now it, as well. Yeah. So, you know, that's done a lot to reduce the incentive for those guys to play. Yeah, that's right. Because Dubai. Which is a pity. The only, thing, the only thing you can do is, as I said, you either try and keep going along having two or three events a year. That's all we're going to be able to get. Um, and, and possibly... As I said, try and merge with one of these other tours. When you possible. when you look, when you, listening to you two talk about those players that came out and you know 
supported the Australian or took on the Australian tour back in the day. When I ask you to go back in time, Lindsay and Clates, you probably played in a couple of these mm-hmm. tournaments, but um, I'll mention two in particular, the, the Monte Carlo Open of 88 and the Spanish Open of 87. A couple of top 10 finishes in both of those, Lindsay, and, and the names Ballesteros and Feldo were um, right alongside you. You were sort of duelling with them. How how exhilarating was it? How um, alive were you at the time to the concept that you were kind of jousting with, you know, two of the great players of all time, um, albeit, you know, they, they were in, at their stages of the career that, that you were at with yours? Yeah, look, I used to get on really well with Seve. Um, I'd probably be the only bloke out there in the world that's played a, had a practice round using his golf clubs. When did that happen? That happened in 1990. Oh, what was that in Hong Kong? Four or five at the Hong Kong Open, and I'd played in Japan. Oh, because it's played that, that Concord. Uh, that's right. No, 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 no. Ninety four, ninety. It wasn't at Concord. It was the Hong Kong Open. Yep. Not the New South Wales Open. Hong Kong Open, and um, that was about the ninety four, ninety five. I can't remember the exact date. Anyway, we. I'd played in Japan the week, uh, three weeks before, and Seve played, and I'd played with him, and he said, when we finished, he said, what did what you, you, you go to for here? I said, I'm going back to Australia. What about you, Seth? He said, sorry, I got back to, I got back to Spain. Oh, that's great. I said, he said you and I, we, we, we should maybe play practice round. I said, yeah, when? He said, well, maybe you play Hong Kong. I said, yeah, I'm playing Hong Kong. He said, well, we have a hope. So we had, we arranged a practice round in Hong Kong, three weeks down the track. We flew up, probably flew on with you close, you probably never arrived, maybe I can't remember. Anyway, we played the practice round and um, I didn't didn't have my clubbers with me. They they went uh, to Bahrain. <laughs> so, Sebi, Sebi, I, I went, I, so I thought, well, I better get practice round with Sebi. I better go out there. You can't and just let him know what's happened. And yeah, just you know, maybe have to walk around and you know, talk to him a bit. So I went out and he said, I didn't have you know, didn't have the right attire in. He says, "You're oh, and I practice there. You, what is your? Well, you're you, you okay? You, where's your where's your where's your equipment?" And I said, uh, "In Bahrain <laughs> <laughs> and back tomorrow." He said, "You'll fly from Australia to here," and I said, "Yeah." And he said, um, um, okay, he said, no, okay, okay, no problem. He said, no, he used my clubs. So we went out and played a practice round with his clubs. How many people have done that, you reckon? Have you seen a better one than him, Lindsay? You've talked about Greg. I mean, have you seen a better natural stroke player? No. Thinker? No, 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 no. No, no he's a man. He's a man, said he, no doubt about it. And so sad what happened. It's just so sad that he went like that. Um, I mean, I can relate to it now. Obviously, it's a bloody major. When I got diagnosed, um, there were two tumours in the brain, and um, thinking straight away, my first thought was Sebi Bellaceros. And uh, fortunately for me, I come out the other side of it good. So, but and and succeeded in in beating it. But yeah, it's it's a worry. Is cancer is a big worry. You're going along beautifully for 62 years and all of a sudden, bang, you know, this is me talking, um, was my issue. And um, I've, had to, I've had a serious fight on my hands now for a good 18 months, but I'm on top of it now, so that's the good news. Yeah. So, so that was, we were going to ask you, obviously, about how you're travelling. So it sounds pretty positive listening to that. How are you travelling? 
Oh, yeah, really good. I had a great report only on Monday, and um, I shrunk the tumour in my liver. I shrunk it 70%, and um, treatment's working really well. And I'm, yeah, I'm pretty happy with my, my uh, well, I'm really, I'm stoked actually that I'm yeah. my result because we're snapping them. So it's hard to get the treatment right. You know, the treatment that they were giving me, which wasn't working, wasn't the right um, mix. And um, I've got probably one of the best oncologists over here. And um, he changed it around and yeah, I'm, I'm all good. Yeah. Jeez, it must, well, I'm not saying all good, but I'm on the road to recovery. It must have been terrifying to face it. To, when you, when the news arrives, Lindsay, touch wood, and you know it's great to hear your voice. But it must be that that moment when you, when the realization hits you, that must be a terrifying, particularly a man who's been so you know strong and lived such a full life like you have. Especially when he gave me eight weeks. <laughs> Jesus, that's yes. So, yeah, and then, um, yeah. I had another little scare this year as well. I had my bowel, well, I had a, my bowel had opened up and gone up through my diaphragm, up around behind my lungs, up right up under my heart, and um, yeah, that was in the ambulance straight to the hospital, and they had to operate on me and obviously pull the bowel back down through all these um, all three organs. And yeah, I'm, but yeah, that took a bit out of me, obviously. <laughs> But that's all been successful, and I'm all good. And yeah, I just, yeah. Hopefully, um, I've now. I'm pretty sure I have. Well, last scan identifies I have now. But so, it's all good news, guys. Which is great. How, how's Mark going? Actually, does he work for you guys? I'm not Mark Allen. Is he one of you? Yeah, guys? he. No. I bumped Different. into Marco. Uh, oh, not for not for a while now. But no, he's he's a bit like you. He's had some um, he's had some pretty hairy moments, but. Last time I spoke to him, he's, he's yeah. back playing loads of golf, Lindsay. I mean, he's um, yeah, he's got some things he needs to take care of and stay on top of. But he's back playing heaps of golf, and he, you know, he looks as good as he ever has. You know, he's yeah. still got the the shock of dark. Yeah, you change your looks, whole attitude. Yeah, no, he still he still looks like a Hollywood superstar. So, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what we got him. Oh, so, so here's a question, Len. Called it, so the we? bloke who did that operation on you and yeah. saved your life. Well, Jimmy's got a nickname, and uh, Mark up got a Okay, so so the guy did the operation, yep. and let's pick a name out of the hat, Rory Surgeon. McElroy, who might want north of a million dollars to play the Australian Open for a week. Who do you really think is worth a million dollars? Who's actually contributing more to the betterment of society yes. than the bloke who can figure out how to do that operation no. and save your life, or a bloke who's actually coming to whack a ball around a golf course for four days? It's kind of our, our priorities are... Wait, wait. Anyway, Len, um, that 1987 oh. Spanish Open at Las Brisas, you had a really dopey caddy. Mixed up. Who I couldn't believe you'd hired because he looked like the biggest idiot in town. Turned out to play a pretty significant <laughs> part in the history of Australian golf, that bloke. <laughs> who, who was it? He did. Well, his name, well, no one will know his name, but oh, I nicknamed him Squirrel because he's always in the bush looking for my ball. And he didn't like that at all. So, guess what? His name, nickname. Tell the story. All right. So when I normally when I go back to when I was playing, see we played six months basically, five months and six months in Australia and six months over there, place right. And um, I had an Australian caddy, and everyone had Australian caddies pretty much. Sometimes you couldn't get them. And yeah, this 
I, I decided not to take my, my guy across. So um, uh, he's, he's actually lives down at Wilmington. Um, anyway, um, he, I, I just thought, oh, I'll get one over there. So I rock up over there and looking for a caddy and this fat, overweight-looking young guy sitting down, looking pretty sad. And he's kind of come up to me. I think he was sick of asking people, asking players. Because not every, not every player turns up without a caddy. Most of the players, especially the top ones, have their own caddy all the time. And anyway, so we sort of got in. I said, well, all right, well, where you, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from London. I said, whereabouts? He said, oh, I'm from Wentworth. Oh, okay, Wentworth. That's good. Well, we're playing at Wentworth next week in the British PGA. I said, if you go okay this week with me, I'll probably have you next week as well. You have a bit of an idea. He said, oh, yeah, I know Wentworth. So, anyway, I grabbed him and Clay's as well and another guy and um, away we went and I hooked it in the tree somewhere in the fifth or sixth hole and I said to him, hey, Squirrel, you've got to go over there and get that ball over there. Said, what, what the form of that name for, man? He said, my name's not Squirrel. I said, well, what is it, by the way? He says, oh, my name's Alistair. I'm going, oh, my God, it's me, Alistair. I don't think that's going to work here with me, so... We might just change it up. I said, "What say we, what say we call you Squirrel?" Oh, I don't really like that. I said, "I love it." So we're going to go with Squirrel for a few days. See how it goes. So Kate jumped on it and said, "You're a kid, aren't you? This guy has got no clue." I said, "Yeah, I know. I'm, re- I'm realising that." But by the end of the week, he was really good. He could read greens, and I need—I'm not a great green reader, and I've always felt that players should use their caddy for a second opinion and, 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 and to learn to trust your caddy for reading greens because there's going to be times when you just have no idea under pressure and that and you need a second opinion. And, you know, I've always said, I've said to Phil Scott, Adam's side of it, if he had used his caddy a lot more to read greens, I think he would have won a lot more. I think that's one of the... The only time he got... Steve Williams to read his to read the putt was it the buddy of the Masters was the was the hole that he won the tournament on. He asked him for a read and he thought he held the putt. Well, that was pretty impressive, huh? It's pretty so, good. It's a good call. So yeah, it, it's, I just think the I, I know I always say when I think Jimmy, you always say yeah. a caddy that can has got the ability to read greens is is golden, particularly when you're coming down the back straight and pressure on. That's just Perfect for a second opinion. I mean, they're not going to get it right all the time, but you probably think to yourself, well, I would have hit it there too, so I can't blame the caddy. And I think if you just get down to a point in a relationship as a team when, you're, when you've got a caddy, if it'll work as a team, um, I think it's really important that you, you know, endorse them. And if it's, if it's wrong, well, it's wrong, but you probably get more chance of being right with two eyes looking at Oh, sorry, four eyes looking at it than... Um, than just your pair of eyes. So, yeah, I'm a big believer in getting a good caddy with it that can read greens. Hmm. Which Squirrel was. Squirrel is. And, yeah, and, yep. And I suppose continuing on going back to Squirrel was that... But anyway... He carried me for about four, a year later. four years. And then um, um, a year later, when he caddied for me in Australia, or when you caddied for you, <laughs> I can't remember, Mike. Um, anyway, he kept... He kept getting for me for the, I don't know three years, four years, and um, he was a, he turned out to be a really really well, good caddy, for me, caddy I, mean. I had actually, yeah. and he 
ended up coming out to Australia to caddy for Mike Clayton, which was a bit of a surprise. <laughs> because, Clayton, you didn't want you, you. You were the one that came up to me and said to me, what are you doing with this dickhead? You can't have him on the bag. If you had a decent caddy, you would have won last week. You wouldn't have finished fifth because I think I finished fifth and sixth in the event. I said, well, I, I couldn't get an, I couldn't get anyone. It was the only one that was there. It was the only one parked outside where the caddies are to willing to go and work and, and caddy for one of the players. So um, I, I grabbed him. And he's, yeah, he turned out to be a great caddy. I, I should have won. Well, I come, I played well in Monte Carlo and um, uh, I didn't take him in Monte Carlo. <laughs> But um, yeah, look, it's it's he or he or he or nor there with caddies. It's just if you get a good one, and players realise when they got a good one, they keep on hang on because it's very hard to find them. You know, when I mean, you look at Phil Mickelson, he's had the same caddy forever, yeah. Um, yeah. and then they, they finished last year. Um, yeah, there's there's so you finished up, there course. I think are pretty important for the, the players' perspective. But um, yeah, but that's me. I'm caddies. Here you go, Clates. Caddying for you. He finished up caddying for Jeff Ogilvy. But he finished up when Jeff Ogilvy turned pro. I'm okay. I said, grab this bloke. He's fantastic. Anyway, so he, um, um, he came for Jeff when he won. The, he came for Jeff for ten years. Why don't you open with him? Hey, Lindsay, I might ask you one last one, uh, and then we'll then we'll um, we'll let you go, mate. So uh, we've got we've got so heaps here. You, so, you go, I was mate. I going to say, did you? So you set up you set up um, Jeff Ogilvy to, with with um, with Squirrel, did you? Yeah, no, I, I think he came. I can't remember where he came from, but you know, I mean, Jeff asked me about him. I said, this guy's the best cutter that wow. I've had. He's fantastic. There you go. So he caddied for, I think he gave for Jeff for 10 years, really. So, Lindsay, you've, you've um, lived a life in golf. You've played the game. Um, you've, you know, you've, you've done time behind the, um, behind the microphone and, and commentated the game. Do you still like watching it? Has the game yeah. still got, got charm for you? Do you still like watching you know, the, the modern version? Sure. I think that you know, the broadcasts have gone to another level now as well because you know, I was more either out in the course calling shots in and the school leaderboards, that sort of stuff. And then um, in the box for maybe an hour for a bit of commentary, which was Channel 7's way of doing. I thought it was, they did a fantastic job, 7. Um, and they threw a bit of money at some of the events. So they were great. And, uh, yeah, look, I, look, yeah, I'd love to be still commentating, but the problem I've got, I've got to come from Perth and I don't like spending the money to <laughs> yes. get me over there. But... Um, Fair enough, I suppose. If I lived in Melbourne, I'd probably get a few more gigs, Clace. And, um, yeah, that'd be nice. But, unfortunately, there's plenty of guys that can fill your shoes, I can tell you, Andy. Um, yep. <laughs> so, I'm aware of that, yeah. Yeah. Plenty of young guys that were good, are finished, wound up, and are happy to try and, you know, I don't know how he, um, who's out there now that's doing a lot of the poor... Um, What's his name? Oh, probably, Play probably. Tell me here. Bill Gow, Gow, Gow. Doing heaps. Yeah, Gow is doing heaps of it. And, um, yeah. Oh, this, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. So anyway, good luck to him. But, um, Paul Gow. Yeah, so I'd love to do a bit more of it, but it's just there's no events on for a start. And I'm over here, so I, I'm up against it a little bit. So, but that's okay. That's okay. Well, mate, it's good to hear you. Paul Gow, it's good. Yeah. 
it's good to hear you in um, in good spirits. There's you know, a lot of people over this side of the country for a while have been um, asking questions as to how you're going, and it's um, it sounds like you've you've been through some sort of journey, mate. But it's great to hear your voice on the show today. Uh-huh. Great to hear you in in good spirits, and we we really appreciate you being part of the show. Yeah, I really appreciate. It. I've had a I don't think I'll be playing golf for a while because I had a shoulder operation done recently and it's going to take a long time, so that to come good. I've had a prosthetic arm put in, actually, or uh, um, into the joint, into the um, into the socket up there, which, you know, up, up under the left shoulder blade there. So, um, yeah, a bit of, bit, bit of pain to go with that, with the operation and then the recovery. So I'm going to be a while before I can swing in the club, but I can't wait to do it. I might have to be like Kelvin Pete, though, because my left arm is never going to be able to straighten it again after the operation. So I'm going to swing it like Kelvin Pete. I'm just trying to I've got to find his swing somewhere. You remember Kelvin Pete? <laughs> yeah, with the broken left arm. <laughs> hey, Lindsay, thanks for joining us on the show, mate. We really appreciate it. Uh, look after yourself. We'll speak to you soon. All right. Let's you go. See you, Jimmy. Good on you, mate. Lindsay Stephen joining us on Inside the Ropes. See you, mate. Back with more after this. Let's go back Inside the Ropes with Golf Australia. Just, Lindsay Stephen, before we get on to a couple of bits and pieces to wrap it up, remind us of him at his peak, Clates, the player, Lindsay Stephen. How how good was he? He obviously played all over the world. How how good a player was he when he was at his best? Lindsay was good. Lindsay had a... It was interesting... He had a beautiful swing, very, from the time, very Jerry Pate-like. For those who remember Jerry Pate, the 76 years Open champion, very long, rhythmical, hit the ball a long way, hit the ball really well. Um, I think, it, like most of us, if he'd grown up in this era, he'd have been a better player. He would have had a better technique. He always had a great-looking swing. Technically, it wasn't perfect. So he was kind of inconsistent a little bit, but um, he was a flush hitter. I mean, he really hit the mm. ball properly and flush. Now, as I said, you know, I think if... I want to say the teaching's better. The teaching's better now, but the biggest difference to when I grew up was is the phone, the iPhone. You can look when you're a kid. You can look at every swing. Whereas we grew up with, with our mates standing behind us saying, you know, what did that look like? What did I do? And that would kind of give you their impression of what you did, which might have been right but was probably wrong. But now you've got the evidence on your phone. You can look, you can, when you're a, when you're a kid, you can grow up looking at your swing and learning your swing and, and, and seeing what you're doing. Mm. And you can fix what you're doing. Because we were just guessing. And, and by the time you kind of, you know, the video camera was you know, part of the equipment on tour, we'd all... You know, we'd been playing for 10 years. Been full of bad habits. So it was difficult to change. Mm. You know, mm. you ingrained mm. the faults. So, hey. you, know, you know, you you see kids who grow up now with, I mean, Elvis Smiley. He's, he's got a great swing already. You know what I mean? Elvis is ready to come out and almost win on the tour now, the Australian tour. So, you know, that... that Technically, they're so much better than we were. I was watching a bit of the... Um, they've got a couple of the Australian girls playing in um, Dubai at the moment in this Dubai Moonlight Classic under lights. 
know whether you've seen any of it, but um, I watched a bit of it this morning in between um, seeing what the swings were doing in Michigan and Wisconsin. Um, are you designing, will you design courses? Will you design courses under lights? Is that something that you, you can see yourself doing down the track? Uh, unlikely, I would think. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a hot, I mean, it's so hot in Dubai that, you know, it's just, I'd rather design courses where you won't have to worry about how the lamppost look at the back of every crane. <laughs> it looks pretty odd. So, so they played all right. The scores were pretty low, so um, it doesn't it doesn't seem to affect their Did score. Did you see that four ten year old girl swing head? Did they no. show her at all? No, they may have. I only saw about fifteen minutes of it, the so 14, I might have missed her. The four ten year old English girl, who I, I I think she's English, who who has moved out to Dubai to practice and play and develop a game. Big tall girl with a great looking golf swing, like smashes it. So um. Yeah, no. Have a look out for her. Come right on. on. Hey, we've got a, a bit of a promo. I've got to ask you about Sean Connery before we go. Um, our avid listeners to the show, uh, there's this announcement we've got. Next Wednesday to celebrate Masters Week, we're giving Aussie golf fans a chance to win some epic prizes by showing us your hashtag, Masters Living Room. We want to see you get into the master spirit by decking yourself out in golf gear. Customise your living room accordingly. The more creative, the better. So whether it's dressing up as your favourite player, maybe a splash of Happy Gilmore about it all, placing a practice mat in the front of the front door, painting your walls green, whatever it might be, show us your master's spirit. It's going to be launched on Wednesday, the 11th of November at 9 o'clock. All you have to do is take a photo of you and your household watching the Masters. Hashtag Masters Living Room. Set it up um, and submit it to masterslivingroom.golf. There are 29 prizes on on offer from brands such as Callaway, Bushnell and KO Plus Offers from getting to golf and my golf. So get involved. Special promotion brought to you by our good friends at getting to golf and my golf. Um, Clates, before we go, we, we farewelled the greatest bond of all this week, Sean Connery. But for um, many of us, uh, before we even knew him as a 007, we knew him as one of the stars on Pro Celebrity Golf alongside Ronnie Corbett and Peter Ellis doing the calling back in the early 70s when we used to get that show boom back into Australia. You would have been you would have been a watcher of pro celebrity golf back in the day, wouldn't you? Well, I'm not much of that. I mean, it's a bit like you know Lindsay was talking about Foxtel. I mean, there wasn't much golf on in Australia in the '70s, so that was a great chance to watch Torino and Peter Oosthuis and Johnny Miller and Savvy play golf. It was great. That's it. Um, Connor was a huge part of that show. A massive part of it. He'll be sadly missed. Well, hey, Clay. Of course, the. the, the there was the famous scene in Goldfinger, the, the, the match at Stoke Poges in London where he um, calls the guy after cheating on the last hole. There's a great scene in that. That's right. Uh, and mate, we've had to uh, we had to battle through a few technical issues this week. We appreciate you being available. To us. Sorry for the uh, stuffing around, but um, thanks for being part of it, mate. Uh, always good to hear you chat about the game. We love so very much. Thanks for uh, doing it, and we'll see you soon. Pleasure, mate. Enjoyed it. Good on you. Okay. Mike Clayton joining us on Inside the Ropes. That's it for us. Thanks to Lindsay Stephen. Great to have Ben Enverell on the show. That's episode 188 done. Same time next week. We'll see you then, folks.